Right now, I'm going to ask Don Dunkel. He's going to come, member of our church, and to read Scripture and pray for us this morning. And after he prays and after he reads Scripture and prays, our children will be dismissed for children's church and our ushers will be coming to take up this morning's offering. reading is Zephaniah 2. Gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives, and that day sweeps on like chaff. Before the fiery anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Heavenly Father, you are truly Holy Lord. We look forward to you coming again remove all evil from this world. Thank you for all the blessings you provide us each day. Open our eyes that we may see these blessings and praise you for them. We ask that your light shine through us so that the lost may be drawn closer to you. We thank you for Pastor Steve and your guidance that he brings to us. May we take to heart his words and live a godly life. We ask that you open the eyes and the hearts of those who do not know your mercy and grace. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Be with us and provide us your strength as we battle against sin. For with us, be with us on our journey to know and love you more. Jesus' name I pray. Ushers are getting ready to come for this morning's offering. Children, you can be dismissed for Children's Church.
my son saw the PowerPoint slide up here and was saying, Dad, didn't you preach on that last Sunday? And uh, I, actually, I didn't preach last Sunday. Ryan Horrell preached last Sunday and did a wonderful job. I was listening to it on the way back from our vacation seeing family in Tennessee and did a did an outstanding job for us. Actually, uh, I preached... Um, uh, this, uh, we're in the middle of a series of messages about our life together as a church. And so a few Sundays ago, a couple Sundays ago, I preached on this first word, begin. Because when we, as our, in our life together as a church, one of the things we try to communicate in our, in our membership class is we want people to begin with the gospel. Uh, they need to be saved. So if you're going to be a member of the church, you've got to be saved, <laughs> born again, and follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Then we want to see them, as I'll preach about this morning, connected. And that means to be connected to the church through church membership, to be convinced that this is where they need to be and this is where they need to grow in Christ, which leads to the next word, grow. Uh, that We want to see that person begin to really grow in their relationship with Jesus and with other believers to the point uh, at which they're engaging, which is the last word there, to engage their mission field. And all this is important because what is the church? The church is comprised of all true believers, all true believers, is it, that's God's holy dwelling place. And Ryan did a wonderful job preaching about the church's call to holiness last Sunday. So if we're going to be set apart as a church, we need to stand out. Uh, and so that means we need to, be, to begin with the gospel. We need to be born again. We need to be connected to the church. We need to grow in grace. And we need to engage our mission field with the gospel, not just with our words, but also with our lives, that we're holy and set apart from the world. And so this morning... As we consider the topic of being connected with the church to continue in the faith, I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 14. And as you're turning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word together. Acts chapter 14, I'm going to begin with verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair that you're sitting in or beside you, close to you. Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray together again. Our Father, we bow right now and ask God that you would speak to us from your word. We thank you, Lord, that you inspired these words and you spoke these words and you've given us to, uh, given them to us. You preserved them for us. And so we know, or at least should know, Lord, that it is grace this morning that allows us to even see the words on this page. And Father, it is certainly divine grace and sovereign grace that would allow us to believe these words. For our hearts are hard by nature and reject truth. So, Father... Even for those of us who've been born again this morning, we've begun with the gospel. Lord, we've, we've followed you in baptism. We're professing believers. Lord, we ask that you would take our hearts that are so easily calloused by living in the world throughout the week and in our unsanctified state, Lord, as we wait to be glorified. Lord, we ask that you would stir us, God, that you would affect our hearts with truth. 
and make us more like Jesus. We ask this, this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. You can be seated. My kids are still young enough where they like to, me to read books to them and so forth. And sometimes at the end of some of the books that we read, it will actually say the words, The End. How uncommon is it nowadays to watch a movie or read a book and at the end of the movie or at the end of the book, the, the words, The End, appear? Sometimes it doesn't appear at all and you're left to wonder there could be a sequel to this thing. Sometimes it might even say to be continued or the way it ends, like I said, gives you the impression, oh no, we're going to have to watch the sequel or we're going to have to read another one of these books. You know, parents, maybe we feel like that sometimes. Another Frozen movie, for example. Then sometimes we're left reading a book and we realize there's going to be a sequel or there's going to be another movie that, that was a good and, and we're excited about that and about something continuing. Well, I think when I think of that, I think of how that should be how we think about this text in Acts chapter 14 because you're seeing something continue here. Some of it, it excites us and some of it will cause us to have dread that it's going to be continued. There's two themes, two themes in this passage of Scripture that are common, continual experiences in the church. Common, continual experiences in the church. Number one is continual persecution. That's going to be continued. It's not something we're excited about. But there's going to be continual persecution. We see that in verse 19 where Paul, who had preached in this city called Lystra, is stoned and left for dead outside the city. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. And we're told by the Apostle Paul himself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We see it in experience. We see it in the world amongst other believers in other parts of the world. So one theme is continual persecution. It is a common, not abnormal, but normal experience of believers. Continual persecution. Secondly, is continual perseverance. If you look in your Bible in verses 20 through 23 that we just read, what you see is Paul coming back along with Barnabas, and they come right back to Lystra, and they preach the gospel. They preach the truth of the gospel. They say it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. These believers need to be encouraged and built up and strengthened so that they will endure, that they'll persevere. And so, a little brief church history lesson for us this morning. When we do our membership class, we, we do a little church history one Sunday as I go through that class. How did the church begin? It began on the day of Pentecost, if you read in Acts chapter 2. And thousands and thousands of believers began to meet in what's called Solomon's Portico. They didn't have a church building to meet in, so they just met close to the temple like they'd always met, and they heard the gospel preached, and then they met, began to meet house to house. And then how did the church grow outside of Jerusalem? Well, it grew through intense, intense persecution. The church was persecuted. If you look in Acts chapter 8, there was a man named Saul who was breathing out threatenings against the Lord and against the church. He hated Christ, and so did many other Jews. And, and they tried to kill Christians and haul them off to jail. But you know what? As, as those believers in Jerusalem, they had to flee and leave their homes. You know what they did? They preached the gospel wherever they went. And so out in other towns, guess what happened? The church began to grow through persecution because God, amen, is sovereign even over persecution and suffering. 
the church, as it began to grow, it reached a point where in some of those places it became healthy enough to say, look, there's still places where the gospel's not went. We need to send missionaries there. So the church began to grow through intentional missionary endeavor. And so when you read about the church at Antioch, where the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch, the Holy Spirit led them to set apart Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, if you read it. And they sent missionaries, and the church began to grow, and it began to flourish. And you saw believers persecuted continually, even then and even today, but continuing true believers to persevere in faith despite being thrown to lines and sown in half and thrown in front of the crowds at the Roman Colosseum. They persevered continually, even though they were persecuted continually. And we come down to this day where here we're meeting here in this building. We are First Baptist Church of Mount Carmel, a Southern Baptist church. Sometimes we may ask ourselves this question, why there are so many denominations? It's a stumbling block, it seems, to a lot of people. Well, here's what happened. As the church began to grow and the church began to unify itself, it, it got away from the authority of Scripture. And one of the things we have to understand is what we believe and practice, the basis for that is the Word of God. Amen? Scripture alone is our authority for what we believe and practice. The church got way away from that. And so it was in the 16th century that there was a reformation. A call to reform the church, to see things change. But it wouldn't change, it rebelled against that. It wanted to hold on to its authority. And so people protested. And so Protestant churches formed. And those Protestant churches began to look at the Scripture and say, this, we don't need some man telling us what to believe. We need the Bible. And they began to read the Bible in their own language. People died and shed their blood for that. And they began to meet together. And they began to, some of them said, well, we don't want to break away too far from our, the way we were taught. So they still kept baptizing babies. But then some looked at Scripture and said, well, it doesn't matter what we're used to. It matters what Scripture says. And the Scripture never says anything about baptizing a baby. You just see believers being baptized. And so you saw some groups of Christians, Protestants, began to say, we believe in believers' baptism. And so those groups broke off, and so the Baptists eventually formed out of that. And not all Baptists believe the same things. There's Baptists that uh, believe that you can lose your salvation. We don't. That's one of our distinctives I may mention this morning. But the Baptists came here to the United States and met up north and met in the south, and then the Civil War came along. Guess why we have a Southern Baptist Convention? Because Southern Baptists insisted that slave owners ought to be able to continue to serve on mission boards. And the Northern Baptists disagreed. And so the Southern Baptists said, well, we want to have slaves. We don't see anything wrong with it. And so they formed their own convention. So that's the ugly part of our history. We were formed because of that as Southern Baptists. Well, of course, we've repented of that since then. See, even Baptists got away from the authority of Scripture. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention got away from the authority of Scripture in the early 20th century along with many other Protestant denominations and became extremely liberal. And if you would have went to Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and even early 90s, you would have been shocked to hear seminary professors stand up and say, let's say the Lord's Prayer, Our Mother, which art in heaven. And other such heretical teachings 
were saying, you guys, you new, you young seminary students need to get rid of, just, 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 just quit, quit paying attention to this Bible. Oh, you believe in the virgin birth, one seminary student was told by a seminary professor in that day at a Southern Baptist seminary. He said, you just wait six months and your mind will change. Well, God did a great work and things changed in our seminaries because of trustees and leadership and so forth. And now we as a Southern Baptist Convention today are extremely conservative. Praise God for that. We don't debate whether or not the Bible is, the, is our final authority for what we believe and practice. We're not as, and we're not the only conservative seminary, uh, convention out there, by the way, or denomination. But when our convention meets and we, we at Believers meet, we're not debating whether or not same-sex couples should be married in our churches. It's not even debated. It's not even an issue for us because we're so tied to the Scripture. We know it's wrong, in other words. But there's many mainline denominations who are not only doing that, but are ordaining homosexuals into the ministry and just all kinds of nonsense. So, as a Southern Baptist church, we meet with other Southern Baptist churches to do missions together. Really, that's why, that's why we're part of a convention. So here we are in this big building. Back in, uh, in the early, uh, late 20th century, there was a basement over here. And, and there were some other places where this little group of people had met called First Baptist Church eventually. And they started meeting in a basement. And then they grew. And the church built over top of that where our education wing is. And then they went from the education wing, built a facility back there, a worship center. Built one right outside these doors, another worship center. And eventually, I believe it was in early 2000s, beat this, built this place right here. And so here we are, this Southern Baptist church. And guess what? There's two things going all the way to the day of Pentecost that true believers at First Baptist Church still have in common and still, and still experience. Continual persecution and continual perseverance. True believers experience continual persecution and continual perseverance. So here's the question this morning as we launch into this a little bit further. How was it that believers in the early church continued in the faith? How is it that we, almost 2,000 years later, will continue, persevere, endure in the faith? And I believe the answer as we look at the big picture of these verses we're looking at this morning is this. These believers were connected with one another. They were connected in a local church and they continued in the faith. And so I want us to see that this morning. There's two, two things that were taking place here in this passage of Scripture that, let, that helped these believers endure and stay faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one was the encouragement of the gospel. The encouragement of the gospel. Now, to set this up, we need to understand the context of what's going on in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas, remember, they're sent off on that missionary journey. They start preaching the gospel in places that haven't been preached before. People get saved. But not everybody likes it, especially the Jewish people. But they came to this city called Lystra. And by the way, these cities, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and so forth, the city in Antioch, that's all in modern-day Turkey. So here they are in, in kind of south-central modern-day Turkey, Preaching the gospel, they come to this city of Lystra, and when they get there, Lystra is made up of predominantly Gentiles who are pagans, who believe in many gods. Well, they get there, and there's a man, and, and if you read the verses there in Acts chapter 14 prior to that, there's a man that gets healed, that God heals him through the apostle Paul. Well, guess what happens? The, city of, the citizens of Lystra see this happen, and you know what they want to do? They, they want to make, they say, Paul is Zeus. 
Zeus has come down. The gods have come to us. They conclude that Paul is a god. They say Barnabas is Hermes. He's a, he's a god as well. And they want to bring sacrifices to them. And Paul says, hold up. That is not what we want. God forbid that. But to help us remember, you know how fickle a crowd can be? Here comes a hundred miles away Jews from other cities where the gospel and preached are just as mad as they can be at Paul and Barnabas. And they come and they stir up that same crowd that wants to make them gods. And that same crowd that wanted to declare that Paul and Barnabas were gods, that same crowd took Paul and stoned him and left him for dead. Look at verse 19. Isn't that what happened? Verse 19 says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, of course, he gets up after they leave, and he's actually alive. Or perhaps there was a miraculous resurrection. Perhaps he died and rose again. But it says they assumed he was dead, or they, they supposed that he was dead, but he hadn't actually died. He went back to the city, then left. You see the fickleness of the crowd. Now, the amazing thing here is found in the next verse. Verse 21, look at your Bible. When they had preached the gospel of that city, they went on to a place called Derby. in verse 20. When they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. So right where he had just got left for dead, he goes back to the same city. Isn't that amazing? So I want you to understand something here. Why did he go back? What does it say here in this verse? They returned to Lystra and Tyconium and to Antioch, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What are they going to do? They're going there to encourage and strengthen those believers, those disciples. They love them. Now, some of you know about Andrew Brunson. Andrew Brunson was the pastor in Turkey who was recently uh, released from prison uh, after having been in Turkey for some time unjustly. And there was an interview with him recently asking him, Pastor Brunson, what are you going to do now? Now, can you imagine if Andrew Brunson felt led, if it was even possible and probably not, but felt led to return to Turkey where he had been in prison with his family because he loves the believers there. I'm not saying he should do that. I'm not saying that's even possible that it could happen politically. But suppose Pastor Brunson gets off the airplane in Turkey or Istanbul and some of the believers he's been pouring into see him get off that plane. What kind of effect is that going to have on those believers? It's going to encourage them. And they might say to themselves, He loves us so much. But what they should conclude is this, and as Paul returns to Lystra, having been left for dead, and the believers say, Look, Paul's coming back. Oh, how he must love us. What should they really conclude? That God loves them. That this is a God who those whom He calls and chooses and makes His own wants His people to persevere. He wants them to endure. And He loves the, the, the believers in Lystra so much that He takes a man who used to hate Gentiles and hate Jesus, changes his heart, makes him love Jesus and love Gentiles, and now he's going back to a Gentile city to tell them about Jesus. Why is that? Because God loves them. 
God loves those believers He's chosen. God loves you believers here this morning. And He is the one who's going to make it happen that you persevere and endure. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to see to it that you make it to the end. And how is He going to do that? He puts people in our lives who are a means of grace to preach the gospel to us. Primarily, as we'll see in a moment, pastors, elders, as it tells us in verses 20 through, or tells us in verse 23. One of the points of application before I move on quickly is this, though. You see the effect of other believers going to places where believers are being intentionally persecuted by the government or they don't have a lot of access to the gospel like we do here. You know, believers in other countries can't turn on Caleb and be positive, be positive and encouraging Caleb, you know, be encouraged. Or hear the gospel 24-7 on the radio, right? Not that you're always going to hear it on the radio, by the way. But... We do. We have this access, this phenomenal access to the gospel. A point of application, I think, here that we can just pause for just a few moments is this. Is we need to, to give and to go. We need to realize that there are still believers in places where we have Southern Baptist missionaries. And when you gave in this offering this morning as a Southern Baptist church... We've designated in our annual budget that a portion of that giving that you gave this morning, that it'll go to the Southern Baptist Convention, which keeps our missionaries on the mission field. And what are they doing? They're trying to reach the lost there. But they're also encouraging and strengthening other believers, just like Paul and Barnabas were doing right here. So we need to keep giving. Understand, when you gave this morning... You're, you're part of this great big thing called the Southern Baptist Convention Cooperative Program that's helping believers be strengthened in the faith that you may never meet. You get the glory. You're helping also Brandon and Crystal Leach. In our annual budget, we set aside $12,000 a year. $1,000 a month is sent to Brandon and Crystal Leach, and I know many of you give outside of that personally to help them. And it keeps them on the mission field. And what are they doing? They're strengthening believers, teaching, training pastors, how to strengthen believers in the faith. Why do we go back? Why do we want to go back to Bosnia? We've been three years in a row, and with all my heart, I want to go back next summer again. Because there's believers there that need to be strengthened in the faith. There's many unbelievers there that need to come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So we need to give and go because believers need the encouragement of the gospel. So look at what Paul does in verse 22. What's the Bible say again? They strengthened the souls of the disciples, Paul and Barnabas, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. They tell them the truth about their tribulations. We may get to them in a moment later, but the truth is, is that their suffering and their persecution is not inconsistent with the gospel. But that's probably not what they were hearing from loved ones in Lystra. Can you imagine coming to faith in Jesus in Lystra? And you've got family who, are, who think you're in a cult now because that's how Christianity was looked upon. Well, you're just one of those crazy nut Christians, one of those Christians, those Jesus followers. Don't you see what just happened to your, to your spokesman, Paul? He got left for dead. Don't you understand? The same thing's going to happen to you. If you keep following this Jesus and identifying with His church, come on back. Just, just, just forget this. 
That's the kind of persecution they felt. Maybe they weren't being beaten, but they were being oppressed mentally to leave. And they needed someone to come along to be reminded, not just that that individual like Paul loves them, but God loves them enough that He's putting people in their life to remind them of the truth of the gospel. To remind them that it's not, just because your family says that, or some prosperity preacher may say that, it's not inconsistent with the gospel that you're suffering. In fact, you should be concerned if you're not. So they need the encouragement of the gospel. And you need the encouragement of the gospel of Jesus Christ if you are to endure in the faith. So secondly, number two, is the appointment of elders and pastors. Look at verse 23. Isn't that what happened? When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they went, they reminded them the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God, what it's really like. And then they said, you know what, we can't stay here with you. But we're going to identify some men in the church who can continue to do that. Who are these people? First of all, they were qualified men, these elders. These elders were also pastors. If you look in Scripture, and we can see it in several places, elder and pastor are used interchangeably. It's the same office. It's the same person. Persons. And I say persons intentionally because it's plural. They put more than one pastor, more than one elder in every church. We don't have that right now. You have one pastor. That, that should change at some point in our church. Whether well, there's other pastor, associate pastor, or, or other lay elders identified, that, that's how it should be, biblically modeled. We're not, it doesn't say you're commanded to do this, but that's the biblical model for that. They're qualified men, by the way, that are appointed. We look at the qualifications that men are called in the ministry, not, not women. So when I'm out running in the town sometimes, I run by churches and so forth that I'm aware to have female pastors or elders, I just begin to pray and I pray, God, just because there's a female pastor here or a female elder, that don't mean they're lost. Lord, it certainly means they're wrong. And I pray you'd show them that and grant them repentance. And despite that, Lord, I pray that you'd still use them. <laughs> you'd still use them to, if they're going to go ahead and preach and teach anyway and they shouldn't be, I still pray that you would use them for your glory, despite that. Probably a whole lot more gifted than a lot of men, but it don't matter. They they shouldn't be in those places. So what they did in the early church, and I mentioned that this morning intentionally. Say, well, preacher, you're getting on a little tangent there. No, in our membership class, because we want people to understand one of the distinctives we have as Southern Baptist and as a local church here, is we don't ordain women into the ministry. Because of what the Bible says in Second Timothy, First Timothy about the qualifications of pastors and elders. We don't allow women to teach classes in which men are present. So we make that real, I make that real clear in our membership class because that's a shock to some. And I don't want somebody to join the church who's going to be upset about that later on and cause a stink over it. Let's just get that out front, you know. So most importantly, though, what's the emphasis of this text? It's on what they do. And and. They, so, the, so it's assumed here, based on what Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra to do in verse 19 through 22, is that they're going to be the ones that strengthen and encourage the church. They're going to be the ones that do that. Paul and Barnabas are not going to stay there. So other men need to do it. And that's the calling of elders or pastors. Why are they needed? Folks, you need to understand. And I need to be reminded as well. Our souls, your soul needs to be continually strengthened. Not just believers in other places. Your soul needs to be continually strengthened with the gospel that's preached by qualified elders or pastors. 
needs to be continually strengthened that way if you're going to persevere in faith. The church, the local church, is the means of your endurance and your perseverance. Don't neglect it. The Scripture says here back in verse 22, if you look at it, it says, verse 22, Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. So right beside our house, it's been over a year ago, so it tells you how serious I'm taking this. Um, uh, there's an electric pole beside our house, and the guy told us that this pole is going to eventually fall over if I don't get something to put right beside it to stabilize the pole, another shorter pole or stick or something. Well, I still had not done it yet, so I'm taking a risk of that pole blowing over and not having any power. So what they want me to do, again, is take another little stick or pole or something, put it right beside this other pole and stabilize it and make it strong. And what we're seeing here is these believers who are weak and may blow over any time because of persecution, they need somebody to come along beside them. That's what the word encourage means. It's the Greek word paraclete. It means to come along beside. They need somebody to come along beside of them because they're weak and being persecuted. They're young in faith to come along beside of them and strengthen them. So they'll stand up. And how are they going to be strengthened? Oh, bless your heart. Oh, you're just, you're just, you're just so wonderful, so great. It's, I'm just so sorry this happened. No, they need to be encouraged with the gospel. They're not so great. It took the death of Jesus to make them right with God. But God does love them. And they are clothed in His righteousness. But they need that kind of truth to strengthen and encourage them so they won't blow over in the midst of persecution. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says about these leaders. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this, To obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So these leaders, these pastors, these elders, their responsibility is to watch over your soul. We're told in First Peter that, Jesus is the shepherd of our soul. So these pastors are indeed under shepherds. They're here present on earth, these elders, to, take, to fulfill that role. One thing you need to ask yourself is this, and one reason we have formal membership is this. Who is your pastor? You say, Brother Steve, Pastor Steve, well, okay. Why is uh, Pastor Tony down here not your pastor? Why is Pastor Gary down here, why is he not your pastor? Uh, why doesn't he feel responsible? Why don't I feel responsible for people that attend Heartland or over here? Because we have a formal church membership. It helps me know who am I accountable before before God. Everybody in town that says they're a believer, every believer I come into, formal church membership helps me answer the question, who do I lead? Who do I pastor? Who, whose soul am I accountable for? It also helps me, helps all of us as a church, Who's in, who's in the church and who's out of the church? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 to discipline those in the church. Don't judge the outsiders, but judge those in the church. Well, who's in the church? Is it anybody that calls himself a believer? Are we supposed to discipline anybody in town? You know, have that kind of same intense love for them that would rescue them that we would have for any believer? Well, maybe so to some extent, but formal church membership makes it clear Who's in, who's in this local church and, and who's not? And so I want to encourage you, who, who's your pastor? What, what, what church do you feel accountable to and held accountable to? And if you don't want to join the church, you should at least go to the local church or the pastor and say, you know, I, I have this conviction that I don't want to join a place because I don't see you must join a church in Scripture. I know people like that, but you should at least say, but, but pastor, this is where we want to be at. And, and I, I want you to be my pastor. I, this is where I want to serve, and I want to be held accountable here. At least do that.
Well, that's the, that's the calling of these pastors to look over their souls and how do they, they, why is this? Well, consider the effect of doctrinal confusion. What would be the effect of doctrinal confusion? It leaves people unsettled. Look in Acts chapter 15, verse 24, just very quickly with me. In Acts chapter 15, what you had is you had Jews, Jewish believers, or professing believers anyway, saying, these people aren't really saved unless they get circumcised. They're not really saved unless they get circumcised. In other words, Jesus is not enough. And so there's debate about this. Remember, the church is young. Well, how do we respond to this? Look at the effect that this false teaching was having, this doctrinal confusion was having on them. Acts chapter 15, verse 24 says this. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, notice what it says, unsettling your minds. Some translations say unsettling your souls, although we gave them no instructions. The effect of doctrinal confusion is for your soul to be unsettled. There's a need for doctrinal clarity, and that's what pastors, church leaders must bring to the church, is doc, not doctrinal confusion, but doctrinal clarity. So let me plead with you. If you're looking for a church right now, or someday, I hope nobody ever leaves this church, but someday if you do, for, for different reasons, or because you move to another location, the first thing you ought to do is go to that church's website that you're thinking about visiting, and you ought to try to find something about their doctrinal statement. And I guarantee you there's a bunch of them will have nothing about their doctrine on there. It'll be all about ministries and all this kind of stuff, but nothing else. And if they don't, you ought, to, you ought to call that pastor and say, Pastor, before I ever set foot in the door, I want to talk to you about what you believe and about what you practice here. See if it lines up. Because if you don't, you're going to get yourself all infatuated with the church because of things kind of like that look good to you. You know, kind of like when I was young, dating this real pretty girl, and I just wanted to suppress things I knew about her that wasn't good. Sometimes we do that same thing with the church. We just want to, things attract us, but not the main thing. We get away from it. Before we know it, we get sucked in and we're part of a church that's not healthy for our souls. So you keep that in mind. It troubles me that when people leave churches, they just throw doctrine out the window and they'll just go anywhere. So be sure you heed this message. You heed this warning. It's important for the soul, your own soul and the soul of your family as well. First Baptist Church has a, a doctrinal statement called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. There's copies of that at the Welcome Center right now. I encourage you to pick up if you'd like. There's small copies, and I know some of you don't like small print, so there's larger print too. And the Baptist Faith and Message is a doctrinal statement that kind of unifies us as Southern Baptist Church and makes it clear why we're willing to unite with so many other thousands of other churches who are Southern Baptist churches. And one of those statements is found in your bulletin this morning on the back of your bulletin in the sermon notes. One of those statements, one of those doctrinal clarifications has to do with God's purpose of grace. And this statement says, all true believers endure to the end. So this is what we say we believe the Bible teaches about this topic, about perseverance. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. And our doctrinal statement, the Baptist Faith and Message, says a lot of things. has that in there about women in ministry and all kinds of other clarifications. But in our membership class, this is one of the topics I spend a little bit of time on making sure that people that want to join this church understand that separates us from a lot of, a lot of other churches in this area. Not all, but, but a lot. 
We believe the Bible teaches that those whom God calls, He's chosen, that He justifies, they will be glorified. And we believe that because that's what the Bible says in Romans 8. That God who begins a good work in them will carry them on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not the same as, well, once you're saved, you're always saved. So once you pray a prayer, hey, you're going into the kingdom whether you ever live for Jesus or not. No, that we believe once you're saved, always saved, if saved. That's a better way of saying it. That true believers can never lose their salvation. And it troubles me that many are willing to just cast that off when it comes to looking for a church family. Either they didn't have that conviction to begin with or it's not important enough to them. So I want to encourage you. Stick with the truth of the gospel. The reason I say that is this, folks, not to puff ourselves up or anything like that. I want to tell you something. You end up attending a church or going somewhere that teaches that you can lose your salvation. They may love Jesus. They may not. That may be in their doctrinal statement. or They may have something else in their doctrinal statement and never even talk about it. But that should be a red flag to you there. We need to be reminded that we serve a God who... Who saves us? He does it. He he saves you. Don't keep yourself saved. He's raising up Paul because he loves these believers so much that to go back where he just got stoned because he's going to see through it that those who he says are mine, they're going to stay his. No man's going to pluck them out of his hand. Jesus said, and you need to be reminded of that because you're going to suffer. What is the truth of the gospel after all? We talked about you need the encouragement of the gospel. What is the, what is the truth of the gospel you need to be encouraged by? The truth of the gospel is this, is that you are a sinner. You, you, Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. Your only hope was to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered for you. And if you're going to follow Him, you're going to suffer as well. And one day, you're not going to suffer anymore. Amen? That's the truth of the gospel. That's what you need to be encouraged by. You go somewhere and they just don't want to talk about those things or talk about self-help and all that stuff. It's not going to be good for your soul. And so you say, well, preacher, I'm not going anywhere. Why are you talking about that for? Well, don't go there when you're on TV. Or when you go to the Christian bookstore and you just pick up any book that looks good on the cover. Send me an email. I mean, I'm not, I don't know everything. Believe it or not. I've not read all the books out there, but I know some authors, and I could say, well, maybe steer away from them. Or no, that's, that's good. That's a good book to read, you know. So it's not just about where you're going to church, but what are you putting into your life, into your system? You need to be encouraged with the gospel, not junk food, not heresy, of course, but not just shallow junk either. You need to be reminded that your suffering is not inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. Notice what verse 22 said. It is through much tribulation you must enter the kingdom of God. Now, does our tribulation and our persecution, our suffering qualify for the persecution they were going through in Lystra? I mean, are are we being persecuted? It's talking about suffering because you're a Christian. Are any of you suffering because you're a Christian? I made this statement earlier. Contrary to what some popular preaching might say, you need to be concerned if you're suffering because that means maybe you're sinning or something. Well, that could be the case. But the truth of the matter is you should be concerned if you're not suffering for your faith in Jesus. And that should cause everyone us to say, Ooh, I should be concerned if I'm not suffering for Jesus 
How am I suffering for Jesus? Well, let's, let's qualify a little bit not to just leave us in that place. Or you, you should be living in such a way that the gospel is so precious to you that you're living in such a way that if intense persecution were to increase here in the United States or in Mount Carmel, that you could be suffering for Jesus, for your faith in Jesus. You understand? So ask yourself this question. Am I being persecuted for Jesus? And some of you are. You're given a hard time. You're left out of things that kids do at school because they, they, they know you're goody-two-shoes in their mind. You know you're a Christian. Or you don't get the promotion. And that sort of thing's going on, right, for some of you. But some of you, you're not experiencing that. But be sure you're living your life in such a way that that could be happening because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your suffering is not inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. And that's the message that you need to be encouraged with this morning and every day. Peter didn't understand the necessity of the cross, did he? When Jesus said he was going to go to the cross, Peter said, It'll never happen to you. I'm not going to let that happen. And he said, Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the necessity of the cross. Jesus' suffering was part of a mission. These trips to the doctor and the graveside, the marriage counselor, hardships in raising kids, being teased or left out because of your faith in Jesus Christ, this is part of the mission. This is part of following Jesus. It's not something we want to be continued. But praise God because He will see to it that we continue to persevere. One day it's all going to be over. Amen? And that's the gospel. That's the truth. That's what you need to be reminded of. Otherwise, the next time you get bad news, you're not going to know what to do with yourself. What, what, what are you doing, God? Why, why is this going on? You've got this little small God and this little bitty gospel. And it's not going to sustain you. I love you as a church family. It's my responsibility to watch over your soul. In fact, to watch over every soul that's identified as a member of this church. That's one reason we're preaching this series of messages. We need to rescue some folks who don't come to this church anymore. We need to go after them and plead with them to return. If they don't, we need to take the necessary steps to let them know how much we are concerned about their soul, whether or not they're true believers. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know. If you died, you'd go to heaven. The Bible says you must repent of your sins and trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust only in Him. I want to ask you, have you been born again? Are you trusting only in Jesus? I'd love to talk with you about that. There's a, a lot of people wrestle with assurance. You're not alone if you have those questions. So I hope that you'll seek another Christian out or even myself and let us talk with you. Have you followed the Lord in believer's baptism? You profess to know the Lord Jesus? Well, have you been baptized as a believer like the Scripture tells us to? What are you anyway? Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you just religious? You, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, I'm talking about a follower of Jesus who loves Him so much that you could suffer because you're living out your faith and you love Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of the gospel. Father, I thank you that you love your church. 
And those whom you have called, you've chosen, you've justified, will be glorified. We praise you for that truth, God. We thank you for the means of grace that you've put into our lives that will see to it that that will happen. And when we stand in glory one day with you, you will get all the glory because you did all the work. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for the cross. The cross where Jesus died and suffered for us and paid our penalty once and for all. That it is finished. We pray that as we consider these great truths that we will leave this place encouraged with the truth of the gospel. That it is good news that the work has been finished. And you're still working on us. And one day that's going to be finished too when we're with you. So Lord, let us leave with this good news so stir in our hearts that we're ready to share this good news with people that don't know it. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. and We're going to sing, I believe, this old hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. So let's stand. And as we sing together, if you'd like to come and pray about anything at all, uh, uh, you come and do that. I'll talk with you if you'd like. But let's stand and praise our God for what He's done for us through Jesus together this morning. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dear and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised by the Dear Lamb of God, left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the trophies at last I lay down I will
is the gospel. It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.